the point is, I woke up this morning and I realized I'm about to marry a wedding singer? I am never gonna leave Ridgefield. Why do you need to leave Ridgefield? We grew up here. All our friends are here. It's the perfect place to raise a family. Oh, yeah. Living in your sister's basement with five kids while you're off every weekend doing wedding gigs at a whopping 60 bucks a pop? Once again, things that could have been brought to my attention yesterday! A wedding singer gets left at the altar, then falls in love with a woman who's engaged to a cheater. Join us as we discuss songs that should never be played at weddings, what hook by blues traveler really means, and the montage that Alan wants to create in real life. Then we find out if 1998's The Wedding Singer stands the test of time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Test of Time, the podcast where we talk about movies that are a little bit older, at least 15 years, all the way to 115 years old or longer. But we discuss these films and see if they still hold up today. And as always, joining me and discussing these films is my podcast partner, Alan Noah. I don't think they had movies 115 years ago. Oh, there were definitely movies 115 years ago. I don't think we're going to be reviewing any films from 1906. Yeah, I don't want to. What would it be? Like a flip book kind of a thing? You know what one of the first uh, pieces of footage ever was? Uh, it was uh, only like eight seconds long of a train driving directly towards the camera. Like the camera was to the side, not not in the track. And it terrified people. Because could you imagine what that's like? It coming straight at you in the screen. I mean, the first time that must have been terrifying. But um, that, you know, doesn't stand the test of time in terms of it terrifying moment yeah 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 let's not do anything from the 1900 decade you know like the the 19 aughts i think we can just skip that decade well there is metropolis have you ever heard of that film yeah but that's like 1920 something right yeah 1920 something yeah there might be things from the 19 teens but for now we'll stick with the latter part of the century, uh, the latter part of the 20th century, when we review 1998's The Wedding Singer. Yes, I think this really is a movie that's like kind of in our sweet spot because it's a 90s movie that takes place in the 80s that like checks all of the boxes, or I guess two of them. It also contains Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. Yes. Now, Adam Sandler was, he was our generation's comic genius. I mean, yes, I knew him from Saturday Night Live, but I fell in love with him because of his CD. Specifically, they're all going to laugh at you. And it's follow-up, What the Hell Happened to Me was great. But the first one with with the Conan O'Brien ones and the buffoons, the severe beating of a high school Spanish teacher, like these things were comedy classics, especially to uh, 14-year-old me. I feel like we've talked about that album specifically before. And I don't know if like those severe beating sketches would count as standing the test of time. 
quite honestly, but that album was something that you could just put on over and over again and listen to with your friends on repeat. The follow-up albums had different degrees of, you know, how funny they were, but when he put out a movie, yeah, we're going to go see it. We being, you know, me and my buddies from high school, because of course we were. You know, this is actually following uh, his buffoonery uh, movies of Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore. And also at this time, we should talk about uh, Drew Barrymore. We knew her originally from E.T., of course, and everyone thought she was just the cutest and sweetest thing. And, you know, they didn't have TMZ back then. And my parents certainly didn't read like The Inquirer, but my mom had People magazine. And you would certainly get the gist of it that I believe Drew Barrymore kind of was like a wild child. Did she like emancipate herself from her parents and she like posed in Playboy when she was very young and she had substance abuse problems, I think. I think this is the time of that infamous uh, David Letterman appearance where she danced on the table and just uh, flashed her boobs at him facing away from the camera. Right, right. And Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore went on to make three films together. I knew about this one and Fifty First Dates. Apparently, they were in another movie together called Blended, which came out a few years ago. I saw that like as I was doing research for uh, this movie, and I was like, oh, Blended? I don't really like remember that at all. But I mean, they do have really good chemistry in this movie, The Wedding Singer, so it doesn't really surprise me that they'd want to work together again. Well, it doesn't surprise anyone because uh, he likes working with people that he likes. I mean, he picks the same people to work with over and over. I mean, in a good way. He's just obviously having a great time making his films, and he likes Jennifer Aniston, so they've made three films together, and they're going to make another murder mystery something, too. And he works, of course, David Spade forever, and his Saturday Night Live guys forever, and Nick Swartzen, Kevin James. You know, he's just employing more uh, B and C celebrities and some A-list celebrities than anyone else in Hollywood. Sure, sure. But so this movie, it's about a character named Robbie Hart, played by Adam Sandler, and he's a wedding singer who loves, well, weddings. But when his fiance dumps him at the altar, he no longer finds joy in his profession, and he sinks into a deep depression. Aww. I know, right? Uh, he then begins to find happiness with his new friend Julia, and he starts to fall in love with her, and Julia is played by Drew Barrymore. The only problem is that Julia's engaged to a jerk named Glenn. I hate that jerk. Yeah, I mean, you're supposed to. In the end, Glenn is kicked to the curb, and true love triumphs. So did this movie itself triumph at the box office when it came out? Actually, well, it didn't triumph. It opened at the perfect weekend. What's the perfect weekend for a movie like this? It's Valentine's Day. Sure. And it opened uh, on February 13th, 1998. And this movie had an $18 million budget. And over the Valentine's Day weekend, it grossed $18.8 million. And it opened at number two. All right, number two. Not bad. And uh, what was number one, Al? Um, on Valentine's Day of 1998, Titanic. That's correct. Titanic was still number one. But uh, The Wedding Singer was in the top five for five weekends in a row. And it grossed $80 million on an $18 million budget and $123 million worldwide. So, you know, this film and then The Waterboy is going to come out later this year. And this film put the catapult down for The Waterboy to launch him into superstardom. Yes. 
But yeah, I mean, I don't remember seeing this in the movie theater when it came out. I think because it was 98, so that was our freshman year in college, I definitely didn't have a girlfriend back then or anyone that I would have brought on a date. And, you know, this is past the point where me and all my high school buddies would go to see any Adam Sandler movie. So I don't know that I saw it in the theater, but I'm sure I saw it like on video or something shortly after it came out. Like you, I missed this in the theater because I don't know, a girlfriend, uh, you know, that year to go with. This film kind of got lost in the shuffle and I never quite got around to watching it until years later I rented it. I liked it. I mean, it's not a film that uh, I figured, oh my God, like I have to see again and again because I knew most of the quotes actually from the trailer. So this was my first time watching it in easily 10 years, maybe 20 Right. And it really does speak my language because I love the 80s and I love all things 80s. And this movie takes place in 1985. And it really like right out of the gate, it tells you this is a movie that takes place in 1985, even without the little text on screen that says it. I mean, it starts with Adam Sandler singing at a wedding and he's singing You Spin Me Right Round, which is an iconic 80s song uh, by Dead or Alive, of course. And just like right out of the gate, you get it. This is the 80s. This is like a love letter to everything 1980s. I'm like, oh, we're doing 80s nostalgia already. You know, they really hit you with it. And you have another Adam Sandler staple. Uh, You have Steve Buscemi. We definitely saw him in uh, Billy Madison. Buscemi is the best man. He's about to make the best man speech. And Robbie is the uh, lead singer in the band for the wedding. At first, he's just making kind of a not funny best man speech like we've all heard many times before. But then he gets really drunk and starts saying really bad things about the husbands. And, uh, you know, that time we picked up some prostitutes and suddenly some, like, I guess you assume, like, the father of the bride or some uncle, like, punches him out. No, it's the father of the groom because Steve Buscemi is saying that, like, sorry, I disappointed you, dad. So it's like the groom and his father. Oh, yes, yes, right, right, right. So it's so awkward now. And Robbie, he saves the day. Right. He comes in with a speech about what love is. He knows from experience because he's getting married himself. And he's the hero. He plays weddings. He knows everything about weddings. We find out that he's obsessed with weddings. And he has been since he was a kid. Uh, Right when his parents died, he started daydreaming about his own wedding because he wanted to create his own family to sort of replace the parents that he lost. And that's kind of like brushed over an exposition, you know, in a couple of scenes later. But it's fine. Like, it's, it's a little bit like paper thin, but whatever, you get it. This guy is not only obsessed with weddings, but he's like good at them. And we see that as he saves his best man toast. And then Robbie decides to take a break. Everyone's chanting, go wedding singer. And while Robbie's gone, he lets his backup singer, George, take a song. And George is clearly named after Boy George, the lead singer of Culture Club. And the character is played by Alexis Arquette. And there are some pretty bad transphobic jokes here at George's expense. A lot of people look at him when he starts singing and they're like, "Ugh, gross. And then Steve Buscemi's character says, ooh, I like her, but I'm bummed. 
it's really not in great taste, especially considering the fact that the character is played by Alexis Arquette, who was transgender and tragically died of AIDS or HIV, I guess. And um, it's not handled well. They probably would have uh, treated it differently today had they filmed that scene today. Yes. And I think there's comedic potential with George and the fact that George only knows the words to one song by Culture Club. And then while Robbie's gone, you know, George can just sing that song and then sing that song again. And I think there could have been more that they could have done with the character instead of just, is it a man? Is it a woman? I don't know. Like, Adam Sandler could have done better with that. I just thought it was, this guy sucks singing. Robbie's like a fun dancer and getting the whole dance floor up. And then this guy comes up and he sucks and like it kills the party. I don't think he sucks. It's just a slower song. I thought that was the joke. It was just like, and now this guy's going to sing. Like, obviously, if he was the better singer, he'd be the lead singer. Yeah, that's true. But now Robbie's on his break and he meets Julia, who's the new waitress that's working at this catering hall in, I think it's supposed to be New Jersey, where this movie takes place. And Robbie's buddy Sammy is looking at Julia and he says, oh, she's going to get it and I'm going to give it to her. And Sammy is the opposite of Robbie because he's happily single and he doesn't ever want to get married as opposed to Robbie, who can't wait to get married. Uh, But Robbie and Julia have this little moment out back because there's a kid at the wedding who gets drunk and Robbie takes him out back and uh, lets him throw up in a dumpster where no one else will see him. And Julia sees it and they start talking about how they don't really like to drink. And she says that uh, she's going to be waitressing at Robbie's wedding. And she says that she's engaged and maybe she hopes that Robbie will sing at her wedding, except even though she's engaged, she doesn't know when she's going to get married because her fiance has yet to set a date, which is frustrating for her because she also wants to get married. You know, like I said, I haven't seen this film in a long time. So except for like the punchlines, I really didn't remember much of the plot of this film. And I couldn't remember how they were going to deal with this fiance of hers. And, you know, at first he's just kind of one of these indifferent boyfriends. And he's just like, whatever, babe, you pick the cakes. I don't care about any of that stuff. That kind of bad. Right. And when we get to Robbie's wedding, there's orchestral wedding music. At first, you don't necessarily recognize what the song is until like after a couple of notes and you're like, oh, wait, that's Don't Stop Believing." Oh, wait, that's an orchestral version of Don't Stop Believing." Oh, wait, that's amazing. Like that is so brilliant and it's so perfect. And I feel like every wedding should have an orchestral version of Don't Stop Believing" at the ceremony, and then obviously the real version at the reception, of course. But it's supposed to be this happy day for Robbie, and it's not because his sister shows up and says that Linda left a note. She's not coming. And he, yeah, and, and Robbie is heartbroken. He's humiliated. It's terrible. When Linda comes by the house later on, she kind of apologizes, but she's like, you know, I fell in love with you because you were going to be a rock star. But then it occurred to me that, wait, I'm going to marry a wedding singer. And then Robbie responds by saying, well, that's something that could have been brought to my attention yesterday, 
That quote was in the trailer. Yeah, and like that's like a very Adam Sandler-esque delivery, which he doesn't do a ton of in this movie. It's not like Billy Madison where every other line is like, shabadadoo. Like he doesn't do that kind of kooky voice a lot in this movie, but it really comes out in this scene. Right. And if I'm being honest with why I didn't see it at 18, I was hoping for a Billy Madison, Bobby Boucher kind of character when I heard it was funny, but it's a lot of 80s jokes. Uh, Like, I didn't necessarily uh, rush to uh, watch it right away. So uh, now that he's dumped, uh, Robbie has become totally depressed and he does one more wedding and it's a total disaster because while the first wedding when Robbie's this fun loving guy and he's so great and he knows so much about love that he can save the day this time his heart is broken so he's basically the opposite and he's talking like almost like a drunk guy but i don't think he's actually drunk i just think he's heartbroken and he's talking about how much life sucks and and he leads the band to play a song called love stinks by who um i think it's uh sticks no, it's by the Jay Giles band, who famously sang Centerfold. Oh, okay, I know that. And what else do I know about it? Because I knew two songs by them. Uh, they also do uh, Freeze Frame? No, because I had two MP3s of theirs back in the day when you had a finite collection of those. Uh, must have got lost? And it must have got lost! I must have got lost! I must have got lost! Somewhere down the line. No? All right, well, their biggest hit was probably Centerfold. But it's a great song, but a terrible song to sing at a wedding. And it made me think, actually, of a wedding I went to many, many years ago where the bride was named Susan, and she went by Sue. And at the wedding, they played Runaround Sue. And, you know, like, yay, that's my name. Woohoo, that's like me. That's my song. Have you ever paid attention to the lyrics in Runaround Sue? No, tell him to me how. Well, it's basically about a woman named Sue who runs around with every guy in town. So, you know, not maybe the best song for a woman named Sue to play at her wedding. There are a lot of songs like that, though. I, I know the, the R.E.M. song, uh, The One I Love. This one goes out to the one I love. I remember reading once that Michael Stipe thought it was very funny that other people had it as like their couple song or played at their weddings because the next lines are all about uh, a simple prop to occupy my time. This one goes out to the one I left behind. Yeah. A lot of times people get the love songs wrong. Well, I mean, just listen to the lyrics. I think that's the simple way to avoid that situation. Just listen to the lyrics. Uh, I'll say one of my favorite songs ever based on the lyrics is by Blues Traveler, Hook. Do you know that song? That whole like riff he does, I can do that by heart. I have that memorized. Right, and the entire song is basically him like making fun of the audience by saying, it doesn't matter what I say, as long as the hook is good, and I can say, suck it in, suck it in, ring tin tin, rimbalin, it doesn't matter. And like, as long as the hook, it doesn't matter as long as the hook is good. And he just talks gibberish, watch this, I'll try this, makes no sense, you'll still be hooked. And I never listened to that until I heard it on, uh, I think Howard Stern uh, had them in, and he was basically telling him like yeah that was that was us talking to the audience john popper is also insane by the way (laughs) really (laughs) yeah he's he's like an insane gun nut he like got pulled over once with like an obscene amount whatever anyway getting back to this movie 
after Robbie like has this meltdown at the wedding, he's basically decided he's not going to do weddings anymore. He's only going to do bar mitzvahs. But Julia is still being friendly to him. She invites him to her engagement party. And at the engagement party, Robbie meets Glenn, her fiance. There's also this great moment where Julia and Robbie and Sammy are talking and Robbie completely calls out Sammy and he's like, you know, the first time I saw you at the catering hall, my friend Sammy here, he looked at you and said that you were going to get it. And of course, Sammy is flustered because, you know, that's something he said to his friend. And I just love the way Drew Barrymore plays the reaction to it, where she's like, oh, you were going to give it to me, Sammy? Sammy, what were you going to give me? And then Sammy like walks away embarrassed because what else can he do? And then Julia's like, so does that mean he's not going to give it to me anymore? She just takes this like toxic masculinity and just completely disarms it by being so unbelievably charming. And while I was watching this the other day, I was like, okay, I get why Robbie falls in love with her. It's not just because she's a beautiful woman who looks like Drew Barrymore. She's just amazing and funny. And like, yeah, of course he's going to fall for her. You might be the first person ever to find Drew Barrymore adorable, Al. I'm sure that is not true. Honestly, it made me think of Cameron Diaz's character, Mary, and there's something about Mary where, yeah, of course, she's a beautiful woman who looks like Cameron Diaz, but because of her characteristics and the way that she's written and the way that she's played, you get why Ben Stiller falls in love with her in that movie. And I just sort of felt like, okay, I get why Robbie falls in love with Julia in this movie. There's just so much like charm and adorableness that like you just get it right away, or at least I did. I think what you're saying is that they at least tell us why they're in love as opposed to just giving us a montage of them having date after date and laughing on a Ferris wheel. Next thing is we see a silhouette of one of them proposing to the other. I think that's a really good point. I think that this movie does a really good job of showing you how these two characters fall for each other. And you're 100% right. A lot of movies that we've talked about on this podcast, you just don't see that. And it's like, oh, these two characters are in love now. Why? Because we said so. But like this movie really shows you how that happens. And I read that Carrie Fisher, who is known for being a script doctor, worked on this movie's script and really enhanced the love story and made Julia more of a a fleshed out character. And that work comes through. I think you really see that. Yeah, but also owes a lot to the fact that uh, it's Drew Barrymore. And, uh, you know, she she plays the part very well. Yes. And there's a great little cameo, uh, another SNL legend, uh, John Lovitz. Uh, He's another, like, kind of, like, sort of loser-looking wedding singer. But he says that his business has tripled ever since Robbie stopped playing weddings. So it's a great little scene. Yeah, it, it is. I believe it's an uncredited cameo. Um, after John Lovitz leaves, then Julia convinces Robbie to play this song that he wrote because he's saying that he always wanted to write songs and writing songs is really hard, but he wrote this song about Linda. And this song is just so damn funny. And, you know, earlier we were talking about how funny Adam Sandler's CDs were, and those CDs had comedy skits. But they did also have original songs, and people our generation know Adam Sandler can write a really funny song, and I just love this song. Let's play a little clip of it here. I can't believe I found a love that's so pure. 
I forgot how funny this song was. And when I was watching the movie the other day, I like was cracking up laughing out loud when he gets to, it was all bullshit. Like, it's just so damn funny. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about how montages uh, can be a cheap way to make people fall in love, but montages once you're already in love about shopping for wedding cakes and limos and wedding dresses. Um, yes, please. Yeah, I love this montage. It's kind of wrote, I mean, you've seen it a million times in other movies, but one of the weird things on my bucket list is I want to do a montage of like someone trying on something and I'm going to be the person who sits there and watches a person trying on all the outfits. And then I sit there and I shake my head. No. And then they come out with a different outfit and I do the kind of look. And then like they come out with the right outfit and then I nod like, uh huh, like, that's just such a funny thing, and I totally want to do that in real life someday. I don't know in what context I will. You know, it's interesting. I never knew the thing about Carrie Fisher having worked on this script because a montage like like the shopping spree, that is what a lesser film would put in as the they're falling in love scene because there's a big difference between two people who are now kind of falling in love with each other and finding the other one hysterical versus oh, this guy's really funny, therefore we're falling in love. No, 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 no. There's a big difference between this is a funny guy and, and you're falling in love. But I feel like another film, without the previous scenes of uh, the little scenes that make them get together more, I think this is the scene that would make them fall in love, which I think would be cheaper. Yes, I definitely agree. And we should say that like the reason that they're doing all of this wedding planning stuff is because Julia needs someone to help her plan the wedding. Glenn isn't interested in it at all. Her mom lives far away and Robbie knows weddings. So it makes sense that he's going to be the guy to go with her as she's looking for wedding dresses and cake and all that stuff. I love when they're at the photographer and Robbie knows that this photographer has given this like one really special price to this other couple and he's negotiating that same price for Julia and the photographer thinks that Julia and Robbie are together. She says, you guys are going to last. I can tell you're just one of those couples like Donald and Ivana or Woody and Mia or Bert and Lonnie. The joke being that this movie takes place in 1985 and those three couples not only split, but split in a very public, bitter, acrimonious way. And in terms of that joke standing the test of time, Donald and Ivana, maybe Woody and Mia, probably because they're always in the news. Bert and Lonnie, I don't know if your random uh, movie watcher today would know who those two people are. No, you definitely know the first one because he was president of the United States. And Woody Allen, it's in the news still. But you're absolutely right. No one knows Bert and Lonnie. And we barely knew it, you know, at our age. Like, we knew that it was a thing, but we didn't care. Right. We knew it in the same way that you knew that Drew Barrymore was a wild child because you would occasionally see it in a People magazine or something. Exactly. But uh, Christine Taylor, I forgot she was in this film. She was the female lead in Dodgeball. Uh, she's also Ben Stiller's wife. 
Mm-hmm. And um, she plays uh, Julia's cousin, Holly. Holly thinks that Robbie's really cute. So Julia's immediately like, oh, we should all go on a double date. And so they go out. Julia will go with Glenn and Holly goes out with Robbie. And uh, where do they decide to go? They decide to go to a place called Spanky's. <laughs> Spanky's. Right, and Holly is dressed up like Madonna, and Holly and Julia are talking about how much they love David Bowie. But, you know, Julia is aware that she's starting to fall for Robbie. Maybe, like, not aware-aware, but subconsciously. And while Holly is flirting with Robbie, she's drinking, and she said earlier in the movie that she doesn't drink, and she's getting drunk, and she's feeling like she's going to be sick, and she goes to the bathroom, Holly goes with her, and then Glenn basically admits to Robbie that, oh yeah, I cheat on Julia all the time, and Robbie's really mad, but he's trying to hold it together, and he's like, well, that'll stop once you get married, right? And Glenn's like, no, I work in the city, it'll be easy for me to keep getting hot young girls all the time, and This infuriates Robbie, but he doesn't know what to say. And Holly kind of throws herself at Robbie later that night. And Robbie's not interested. But then Holly figures out that clearly you like Julia. And Robbie says, well, why would she marry him? And Holly basically says, stability, you know, he can provide for her. That's what everybody wants. And this causes Robbie to like decide to get a real job, and he goes for an interview at a bank. The banker is Kevin Nealon, who is another SNL legend. I did kind of feel like he was wasted in this role. Like, he's just a straight man here. Yeah, but always good to give him a paycheck. This is true. I just was waiting for him to, like, do something really funny or, like, you know, have one really great quip, and he's just like, sir, you need to leave this bank. I'm not hiring you. I'm like, yeah, 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 and then the punchline is, and it just never came. And I was disappointed. Yeah, and so Robbie's really pissed off. He doesn't get this bank job. And to top it off, Julia, the the wedding date for her wedding is approaching. And Robbie just, he kind of tells her off. And he basically, he accuses her of being superficial, that she's only marrying Glenn for his money. Robbie discovers uh, what Julia had brought for him. And she had made these like handwritten uh, music note sheets. It It was a really special gift that obviously she put a lot of time into. And he immediately he realizes, oh, what a big jerk he's been. Right. And he has a heart to heart with his friend Sammy. And he's like, you know what? I'm not going to fall for anyone anymore. I'll just like be happy like you and bounce from woman to woman. And then Sammy says that his life isn't cool and being like Fonzie doesn't really work out. And he's really sad and lonely. And it's kind of funny that they're talking about Fonzie because Adam Sandler would go on to star in The Waterboy with Henry Winkler. But basically, Sammy's saying that this single life is unfulfilling. And I don't know, I kind of felt like this was a conversation you and I might have, you know, as a married guy and a single guy about happiness and love and settling down and being with a string of anonymous sexual partners. I mean, not exactly the conversation, but it seems like something you and I could talk about. I have a girlfriend, and I'm very happy with my girlfriend. Oh, Okay, I should clarify. This could have been a conversation I would have had with James five years ago, or three years ago, or eight years ago, or a past version of James. <laughs> uh, <laughs> An in-between girlfriend version of James. True, true, yes. <laughs> a, a single James, yes. Yes, exactly. 
And uh, I love the joke that you uh, realize around this time in the movie when you find out Glenn's last name, which is Gulia. But then Robbie realizes, wait, Glenn Gulia is marrying a woman named Julia. If she changes her name, her name is going to be Julia Gulia. Right. And she also realizes that she doesn't want to be Julia Gulia. She wants to be Julia Hart. She's really falling for Robbie. She understands it. She acknowledges it. Uh, she tells her mother it. And then she goes over to see Robbie. But Robbie's ex-girlfriend, Linda, has showed up or ex-fiance, I guess. And when Julia knocks on the door, Linda answers. She's wearing Robbie's Van Halen t-shirt. And she says, I'm Robbie's fiance. And Julia thinks that they got back together, but that's not really what happened. Linda just showed up while Robbie was drunk, dragged him into his apartment and, you know, put on a shirt and Robbie has no interest in getting back together with her. He even then yells at her and says, get out of my Van Halen t-shirt or you're going to jinx them and the band will break up. And David Lee Roth left Van Halen in 1985. So that did kind of happen. And it also happened in the trailer. Oh, did it? Yeah. I mean, it's a great joke. And, you know, they put it in the trailer. It was the really, really hit at home. Like, these are going to be 80s jokes in an 80s film. I can see that. I can see that. But uh, at this point, uh, Julie decides uh, she's mad at Robbie and she goes to Glenn and they decide to basically elope to Vegas. And they're on the airplane and Julia's thinking about her predicament. You know, she's really going to go through with it. And Glenn is kind of being a jerk to her already. Like, she's never seen Vegas before. She wants to be uh, in the window seat. And Glenn's like, no. And then after a while, the thing that he thinks would be the nice thing to say to someone on their wedding night, he says, when we get to Vegas, you can lean over me and look out the window. Right. It's a shitty thing to say. It's also a callback to earlier in the movie when Robbie and Julia were talking about what went wrong with Robbie and Linda. And he says it's the little things that when they flew to the Grand Canyon, she had been there and he hadn't and she wouldn't give him the window seat. And this is another example of a little thing that is a big thing. And just like Linda was a jerk to Robbie, Glenn is being a jerk to Julia. And Holly told Robbie that Glenn and Julia were going to Vegas and Robbie buys a ticket. Uh, he's in first class. He's going to Las Vegas to go after Julia. It turns out that they're on the same plane. Also, Billy Idol is there in first class. Uh, kind of a random celebrity cameo. Although... Billy Idol in 1998 doesn't look all that different from Billy Idol in 1995, so him playing a 13-year younger version of himself kind of works. I'm not sure if he had a lot of plastic surgery. It kind of looks like that, but just in terms of aesthetics, it kind of works. I mean, when you're Billy Idol and your hair looks like that and you've got all this other shit on you, like, you can look the same when you're in your mid-20s to, like, early 40s. You could look similar enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. But uh, obviously, very quickly, Robbie figures out that he's on the same flight as Julia and the stewardesses and all the first class passengers, including Billy Idol. They want to help Robbie get Julia so they are able to kind of like shove Glenn into the back of the plane and uh, throw him into the bathroom. And Robbie gets on the PA system and sings a song called Grow Old With You. 
about how he wants to grow old with Julia. Again, that's also a callback to one of their earlier conversations about how do you know who you want to spend the rest of your life with? It's about who you want to grow old with. And they realize they want to grow old with each other. It's very sweet. And then there's kind of a smash cut to their wedding, which I forgot that that's how the movie ends. Like I knew that they ended up together. I wasn't sure if it was that they end up as a couple or if they end up getting married. They don't really say how much time has passed between the airplane and their wedding. So hopefully they took it slow. Maybe, you know, it wasn't just like, oh, Julia had a deposit at the catering hall. So she just married a different guy on the day she was supposed to marry Glenn. I hope that's not the case because that would be weird, but they don't really say. So you can assume that they did it right and took a, a couple months or a year or whatever before they got married. That's exactly what they did, Al. Oh, okay. And you know that from the novelization? The novelization. Oh, okay. But that's where the movie ends. So James, let me ask you, do you think The Wedding Singer stands the test of time? The best thing about this film, it's the cast. I don't really think any of the jokes where the punchline is, it's 1980s, get it? I don't think any of those are really that funny. I think she's very, very sweet to this actress, but I don't think rapping granny is very funny, to be honest. And I remember what? it being I remember it being a big thing back then, and I was like, it's funny, but by the time I saw it, it was hyped up to be like the funniest thing ever. You know this, Al. When when comedy is too overhyped, you know it's going to be disappointing to you. I remember when I finally saw it, this was different than the other, The Waterboy, uh, Happy Gilmore, and Billy Madison, because there are no gut busters in this film. And, you know, older me is completely fine with that. So I think that this film is not only a good film, but it's aged very well for me. I'm not saying this is overall better than Billy Madison because it isn't. I prefer Billy Madison to this film. It's sweet humor and uh, you know it's it's kind of intelligent too. And I think for that reason and the absolute wonderful chemistry uh, of the lead cast, I think the film stands the test of time. What do you think, Al? The Wedding Singer does it still stand the test of time. Yes, I think it definitely does. I think it is a very different movie from Billy Madison and The Waterboy and Happy Gilmore and some of those other tentpole Adam Sandler movies. But I think that's okay because Adam Sandler in this movie is more like a regular guy and it works. And Drew Barrymore is a fleshed out love interest and that works. And the two of them work so well together there's nothing not to love. Um, rapping Granny, by the way, is hilarious because she's a granny who raps. I mean, what else do you need? It's funny, but I remember being disappointed when I finally saw it because I was expecting to be like, you know, my side's hurting from laughing so much. It's not that kind of humor. So it's fine. And is this the same grandma as uh, Parenthood? No. No, different no, guy. okay. Um, is that uh, ageist? Yes, it was very ageist. You're going to hell. Um, and, you know, in terms of all of the 80s references, yeah, of course I'm going to love that because I love all things 80s. And there are some jokes where it's like, get it? This 
joke is funny because this movie takes place in the past, like the joke about the couples that are going to stay together forever and the joke about Van Halen breaking up and things like that. However, I don't think that there's so much of that kind of humor in the movie that it becomes distracting. I think that enough of the movie is about their love story that the 80s setting and the 80s jokes, like, they're there. Don't get me wrong. It's not subtle, but I felt like it wasn't ever distracting. And the soundtrack to this movie is so damn amazing. There were two soundtrack albums because they didn't get everything in on the first album. They still didn't get everything on the second album. There were still other songs that were played in the the background that didn't make it onto either disc. But the songs are really good and also just like a very diverse collection of genres. You know, you have pop, you have new wave, you have rock, you know, there's David Bowie, there's Culture Club, there's The Smiths, there's Elvis Costello, there's New Order, Musical Youth, like, there's a wide range of different types of songs that obviously came out in the 80s and that are included in this soundtrack. So I just loved listening to this movie. I loved watching this movie. I love everything about this movie. It definitely stands the test of time. I did just want to ask you one question, James. Like, I was joking around before, but In all seriousness, I was wondering if it bothered you that this movie does kind of do that stereotypical thing of like, you know what makes people happy? Being married. That's the way you get happy. And like, that's a thing that you could argue our culture places an unhealthy emphasis on. And it is certainly true in some movies and TV shows. And it doesn't really bother me. But I was wondering if that bothered you. Uh, Not at all, because those characters are characters that desperately want to be married and just married to be married. And I could have been married if I wanted to. There are some relationships I've had that could have been marriages if I wanted to go that direction. I chose not to. So I don't necessarily agree with that uh, idea that you have to be married. I just think that this character and those kind of characters you're talking about uh, generally do want to be just married. And I I didn't even think of it in that uh, way. Okay, that's perfectly fair. I was just wondering because it did occur to me that that's a criticism that people sometimes make about movies, TV shows, culture in general. And I was just wondering if you had a hot take and, you know, no hot take required. That's fine. I was just curious about that. No, I just didn't pick up on any of that while watching this film. I'm just like, oh, okay. Uh, I'm saying, look at that hair. (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah, his mullet is amazing. Um, But all right, so that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we have a special guest joining us. My little sister, Samantha Noah, is coming back on the show to talk about Little Monsters, a movie with Fred Savage and Howie Mandel in a lot of blue makeup. So don't miss that episode. Stay tuned for that. As always, we want you to talk to us. We are at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You know the drill. You can email us at testoftimepodcast at gmail.com. You can go to our website, testoftimepod.com, and you should subscribe and like or whatever on any podcast platform that you listen to us on. And we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye. Bye.